Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. Once upon a time, dark, wicked tales were told. Stories of monsters and magic. Of death, murder, and other wicked deeds. Stories of forests and of fairies and gold. Tales both delightful and tragic. Now I'll tell one, and we'll see where it leads. <laughs> Hello, kiddies. I hope you're all doing well, and you know what time it is. It's Wicked Fairy Tale O'Clock. <laughs> but isn't it always Fairy Tale O'Clock? The answer is no. It's not always Fairy Tale O'Clock. Sometimes it's time for the Private Collector, and sometimes it's even time for the Wicked Library. <laughs> I'm not a one-trick pony corpse. No, no. <laughs> Well, as it happens, this turns out to be our season finale. And we'd like to thank you all for joining us here on this wicked fairy tale journey. We've already started working on season three. <laughs> We've got some good stuff coming for you, kiddies. But we figured we'd go out with a bang this time. Another lovely story by those two wacky brothers, Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm. And this little story is called The Two Travelers. Oh, goody. <laughs> Anywho, let's sally forth. <clears throat> I don't know why I'm clearing my throat, because technically I don't even have a throat. <laughs> Mountain and valley do not meet, but the children of men do, both good and bad. Thus, a shoemaker and a tailor once met on their travels. The tailor was a handsome little fellow who was always cheerful and satisfied. He saw the shoemaker approaching him from the other side. And observing from his bag what his trade was, he sang a mocking little song to him. Sew me the seam, pull me the thread, left and right, spread it with pitch, pound, pound the nail on the head. All right. The shoemaker, however, could not take a joke. Hmm, isn't that what they always say when someone's being bullied and get angry? He pulled a face as if he had drunk vinegar and made a gesture as if he were about to seize the tailor by the collar. Well, I think we all know what that gesture is if you're from New York. <laughs> With that, the little fellow began to laugh, offered him his bottle saying, No harm was meant. Take a drink and swallow your anger. The shoemaker took a mighty drink and the storm on his face began to clear away. Vinegar does that. <laughs> he gave the bottle back to the tailor and said, I took a hearty gulp. They have a lot to say about heavy drinking, but not much about great thirst. Shall we travel together? All right, answered the tailor, but only if it suits you to go to a big town where there's no lack of work. 
That is just where I wanted to go, answered the shoemaker. In a small place there is nothing to be earned, and in the country people prefer to go barefoot. Thus they travelled on together, always setting foot one before the other like a weasel in the snow. <laughs> that's, that's a hell of an analogy. Both of them had time enough, but little to eat. When they reached a town, they went about looking for work because the tailor looked so lively and merry and had such fine red cheeks, everyone gave him work willingly. And if he was lucky, the master's daughter gave him a kiss as well. Hmm. Interesting. Hold on a second, let me pen here. Yes, right. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm making a list. Whenever he met up with the shoemaker, the tailor always had the most in his bundle. The ill-tempered shoemaker would make a sour face thinking, the greater the rascal, the better the luck. Oh, wait, let me write that down. Okay, thank you. Anywho, but the tailor would begin to laugh and to sing and shared everything he had with his comrade. If a couple of pennies jingled in his pocket, he ordered drinks, then cheerfully thumped the table until the glasses danced. His motto was, easy come, easy go. Clever, wait, hold on. All right, thank you. Sorry about that. After they had traveled for some time, they came to a great forest through which passed the way to the capital. Two footpaths led through it, one of which was a seven days journey and the other only two, but neither of them knew which way was the shorter one. They sat down beneath an oak tree and discussed together what preparations to make and for how many days they should provide themselves with bread. The shoemaker said, one must plan ahead for the unexpected. I will take with me bread for a week. What? said the tailor. Whole bread for seven days on one's back like a beast of burden and not even be able to look about? I shall trust in God and not trouble myself about anything. The money I have in my pocket is as good in summer as in winter, but in hot weather bread dries out and gets moldy on top of that. Even my coat reaches only to my ankles. Why shouldn't we find the right way? Bread for two days and that's enough. Therefore, each person brought his own bread, and they tried their luck in the forest. It was as quiet there as in a church. No wind stirred, no brook murmured, no bird sang, and no sunbeam found its way through the thickly leaved branches. The shoemaker did not speak a word. Surprise. The bread weighed so heavily on his back that the sweat streamed down his cross and gloomy face. The tailor, however, was quite merry. Walking on with a spring in each step, he whistled on a leaf or sang a song and thought to himself, God in heaven must be pleased that I am so happy. This lasted two days. But on the third, there was still no end to the forest, and the tailor had eaten up all his bread. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thus, his heart sank down a yard deeper. 
Nevertheless, he did not lose courage, but relied on God and his luck. On the evening of the third day, he lay down hungry under a tree, and rose again the next morning, still hungry. The fourth day was the same, and when the shoemaker seated himself on a fallen tree and devoured his dinner, the tailor was only a spectator. If he begged for a little piece of bread, the other laughed mockingly and said, You have always been so merry, now you can see for once what it is like to be sad. Birds that sing too early in the morning are caught by the hawk in the evening. Wait, hold on a second. Hawk in the evening. Yes, okay. In short, he was merciless. <laughs> On the fifth morning, the poor tailor could no longer stand up and was hardly able to utter one word for weakness. His cheeks were white and his eyes were red. <laughs> Then the shoemaker said to him, I will give you a bit of bread today, but in return for it, I will put out your right eye. Why, but, hmm, that's a little ponderous, isn't it, kiddies? The unhappy tailor, who still wished to save his life, had to submit. Oh, I sort of doubt that, but... He wept once more with both eyes and then held them out. How does he do that? And the shoemaker, who had a heart of stone, put out his right eye with a sharp knife. The tailor remembered what his mother had once said to him when he had been snacking in the pantry. Beat whatever you can and suffer whatever you must. Oh dear, hold on. I'm trying to... Write these down as they come up, kiddies. Hold on one second. Suffer whatever you must. Okay. After eating his dearly bought bread, he got on his legs again, forgot his misery, and comforted himself with the thought that he could always see enough with one eye. But on the sixth day, hunger made itself felt again almost consuming his heart. Well, there's an idea. <laughs> Th that evening he fell down by a tree, and on the seventh morning he was too weak to get up, and death was close at hand. Then the shoemaker said, I will show mercy and give you bread once more, but you shall not have it for nothing. I shall put out your other eye for it. And now the tailor felt how careless his life had been, prayed to God for forgiveness and said, Do what you will. I will bear what I must, but remember that our Lord God does not always look on passively, and that an hour will come when the evil deed which you have done to me, and which I have not deserved of you, will be requited. When times were good with me, I shared what I had with you. My trade is such that one stitch must follow another. If I no longer have my eyes and can sew no more, I must go begging. At any rate, do not leave me here alone when I am blind, or I shall die of hunger. The shoemaker, however, who had driven God out of his heart, took the knife and put his left eye out. <laughs> and then he gave him a bit of bread to eat, held the stick out to him, and led him on behind him. 
all see where this is going. Well, not the shoemaker. At sunset, they got out of the forest, and before them in an open field stood the gallows. The shoemaker led the blind tailor there and went on his way, leaving him there alone. Weariness and pain and hunger made the wretched man fall asleep, and he slept the whole night. He awoke at dawn, not knowing where he was. Two poor sinners were hanging on the gallows, with a crow sat on the head of each of them. Then one of the men who had been hanged began to speak, and said, Brother, are you awake? Yes, I am awake, answered the second. Then I will tell you something, said the first. The dew that this night has fallen down over us from the gallows gives everyone who washes himself with it his eyes again. If the blind knew this, how many would regain their sight who do not believe that to be possible? Hearing this, first of all, odd conversation for two corpses. Having been one and am one myself, I have never uttered these words. Of course I've never been hung. Well, not in the traditional sense. <laughs> I digress. Hearing this, the tailor took his handkerchief pressed it on the grass, and when it was moist with dew, washed the sockets of his eyes with it. Ouch! Immediately, what the man on the gallows had said came true, and a pair of healthy new eyes filled the sockets. It was not long before the tailor saw the sun rise from behind the mountains. In the plain before him lay the great royal city with its magnificent gates and hundred towers and the golden balls and crosses on the spires began to shine. Why, he could distinguish every leaf on the trees, saw the birds flying past, and the gnats dancing in the air. Don't know why they pointed out the gnats, but, you know, all right. He took a needle out of his pocket, and as he could thread it as well as he had ever done, his heart danced with delight. He threw himself on his knees, thanked God for the mercy he had shown him, and said his morning prayer, not to forgetting to pray for the poor sinners who were hanging there, swinging against each other in the wind, like the pendulums of clocks. It's getting too nice again, I'm sorry. Then he took his bundle on his back and soon forgot the sorrow he had endured, of course he did, why wouldn't he, he can see again, hmm and went on his way singing and whistling, surely to annoy someone else. <laughs> the first thing he came to was a brown foal, freely running about the field. He caught it by the mane and wanted to mount it and ride into the town. The foal, however, begged for its freedom. I'm still too young, it said. Even a light tailor such as you would break my back in two. Let me go until I have grown strong. Perhaps a time may come when I can reward you for it. Run off, said the tailor, to a horse. See that you are still only a whippersnapper. He gave it a touch on its back with a switch. Whereupon it kicked up its hind legs for joy, and certainly not out of pain for being whipped in the back, jumped over hedges and ditches and galloped away into the open country. The little tailor had eaten nothing since the day before. The sun fills my eyes, he said, but bread does not fill my mouth. 
Oh, look at little starvation and having his eyes stabbed out and regrown. Fills a man with hunger and pontification of a flowery nature. <laughs> I hope you all your bullshit boots, kiddies, because it's starting to get a little deep. <laughs> the first thing that comes my way and is even half edible will have to suffer for it. Unlike the baby horse that you let run free and whipped anyway. Oh, that's I'm nitpicking, I'm sorry, kiddies. In the meantime, a stalk stepped solemnly over the meadow towards him. Stop, stop, cried the tailor and seized him by the leg. I don't know if you are good to eat or not, but my hunger leaves me no great choice. I must cut your head off and roast you. How many times have we all heard that? Wait, I'm going to write that one down too. I must cut your head off and roast you gonna try that. Don't do that, replied the stork. I am a sacred bird that brings mankind great profit, and no one harms me. If you spare my life, I will be able to do you good in some other way. Then be off, cousin Longlegs, said the tailor. The stork rose up, let its long legs hang down, and flew gently away. What's to be the end of this, said the tailor to himself at last. My hunger grows greater and greater, and my stomach more and more empty. Whatever comes in my way now is lost. Sure it is. Of course it is. Then he saw a couple of young ducks, which were on a pond, come swimming towards him. You come at the right moment, said he, and laid hold of one of them and was about to wring its neck. With this, an old duck, which was hidden among the reeds, began to squawk loudly. She swam to it with an open beak, begging him urgently to spare her dear children. Can you not imagine, said she, how your mother would mourn if someone wanted to carry you off and see an end to you? Quiet down, said the good-natured tailor. You shall keep your children. And he set the captured one back in the water. When he turned around, he was standing in front of an old tree which was partly hollow, and saw some wild bees flying in and out of it. There I shall find the reward of my good deed, said the tailor. The honey will refresh me. Of course it will. <laughs> but the queen bee came out and threatened him, saying, If you touch my people and destroy my nest, our sting shall pierce your skin like ten thousand hot needles. But if you leave us in peace and go your way, we will do you a service for it another time. The little tailor saw that there was nothing here he could do. The three dishes empty, and nothing on the fourth is a bad dinner. Oh, good gravy, that's a good one. Three dishes empty, and nothing on the fourth is a bad Thank you. He dragged himself, therefore, with his starved-out stomach into the town, and as it was just striking twelve, all was ready, cooked for him in the inn, and he was able to sit down at once to dinner. When he was satisfied, he said, Now I will get to work. And he went around the town, sought a master, and soon found a good situation. Because he had already thoroughly learned his trade, it was not long before he became famous, and everyone wanted a new coat by the little tailor. His reputation grew day 
by day. I can go no further in skill, said he, and yet things improve every day. At last, the king appointed him court tailor. But strange things do happen in the world. You know, like when all the animals can beg for their survival and, you know, grant favors. Sure, and on that same day, his former comrade, the shoemaker, also became the court shoemaker. When the latter caught sight of the tailor and saw that he once more had two healthy eyes, his conscience troubled him. Before he takes his revenge on me, he thought to himself, I must dig a pit for him. Now, at this moment, I'm going to have to interrupt and just clarify that if your conscience is troubling you, plotting out a murder of someone who has survived you stabbing them twice in the eyes is not a guilty conscience. <laughs> oh, he, however, who digs a pit for another, falls into it himself. Oh my god! Hold on, wait, wait. He falls into it himself. In the evening, when work was over and it was growing dark, he sneaked to the king and said, Your Majesty, the tailor is an arrogant fellow and has boasted that he will get the golden crown back again that was lost ages ago. That would please me, said the king, and the next morning he had the tailor brought before him and ordered him to get the crown back again or to leave the city forever. Aha, thought the tailor. A rogue gives more than he has. If the bad-tempered king wants me to do what no one else can do, I will not wait until morning, but will leave town at once. And I didn't want to wreck the flow. Hold on. Rogue gives more than he has. Okay. Thank you. Therefore, he tied up his bundle, but once outside the gate, he could not help being sorry to give up his good fortune and turn his back on the city in which all had gone so well for him. He came to the pond where he had made the acquaintance of the ducks. At that very moment, the old one whose young ones he had spared was sitting there by the shore preening herself with her beak. She knew him again instantly and asked why he was hanging his head so. You will not be surprised when you hear what has happened to me, replied the tailor, and told her his fate. If that is all, said the duck, we can help you. The crown fell into the water and it lies below at the bottom. We will soon bring it up for you. In the meantime, just spread out your handkerchief on the bank. She dove down with her twelve young ones, and in five minutes she was up again with the crown resting on her wings. The twelve young ones were swimming round about with their beaks under it, helping to carry it. They swam to the shore and put the crown on the handkerchief. No one could imagine how magnificent the crown was. When the sun shone on it, it gleamed like a hundred thousand carbuncles. I don't know if any of you have ever seen a carbuncle, kiddies, but they don't gleam. <laughs> the tailor tied his handkerchief together by the four corners and carried it to the king, who was full of joy and hung a gold chain around the tailor's neck. When the shoemaker saw that the one trick had failed, he contrived a second and went to the king and said, your Majesty, the tailor has become insolent again. 
He boasts that he can copy in wax the whole of the royal palace, with everything that pertains to it, movable or immovable, inside and out. That's... Now I'm going to stop here, because... I know he's going to go for the bees next. Um, I'm sure you've all been following along and know that he's, without a doubt, going to go to the bees again. Why would you... I would have killed the shoemaker, and here's why. That's the name of this new part of it. Because the shoemaker is just like, oh, he said he could do this, he said he could do this. And why is the king tolerating this? Is he that bored? Oh, wait... There weren't podcasts back then, were they? (laughs) Oh, faux pas, silly me. Anywho, the king sent for the tailor and ordered him to make a copy in wax the whole of the royal palace, and with everything that pertained to it, movable or removable, inside and out. And failing this, or if so much as one nail on the wall were missing, he should be imprisoned underground for the rest of his life. The tailor thought, I can't tell you what I thought he would have said, but he did say it gets worse and worse. No one can endure this. And he threw his bundle on his pack and went forth. When he came to the hollow tree, he sat down and hung his head. The bees came flying out, good one for me, and the queen bee asked him if he had a stiff neck since he hung his head so. Oh no answered the tailor, something quite different weighs me down, and he told her what the king had demanded of him. The bees began to buzz and hum amongst themselves, and the queen bee said, Just go home again, but come back tomorrow at this time and bring a large cloth with you, and then all will be well. I will bet you thousands of dollars that I do not have what happens next. <laughs> So he turned back again, but the bees flew into the royal palace and straight into it through the open windows, crept into every corner and inspected everything most carefully. Then they hurried back and modeled the palace in wax so quickly that anyone looking on would have thought it was growing before his eyes. Or her eyes. Come on, it's the 21st century. By the evening, all was ready, and when the tailor came the next morning... The whole splendid building was there, and not one nail in the wall or tile on the roof was missing. And at the same time, it was delicate and white as snow and smelled sweet as honey. The tailor wrapped it carefully in his cloth and took it to the king, who could not admire it enough, placed it in his largest hall, and in return for it, presented the tailor with a large stone house. The shoemaker, however, did not give up, but went for the third time to the king and said, Your Majesty, the tailor has heard that no water will spring up in the castle's courtyard, but he has boasted that he can create a fountain in the middle of the courtyard as tall as a man and clear as crystal. Then the king ordered the tailor to be brought before him and said, If a stream of water does not rise in my courtyard by tomorrow as you have promised, in that very place, the executioner shall make you shorter by a head. <laughs> Wait a minute. The executioner shall make you shorter by a head. The poor tailor did not take long to think about it, but hurried out to the gate because this time it was a matter of life and death. 
tears rolled down his face. While he was thus sorrowfully going forth, the foal, to which he had formerly given its liberty, and which had now become a beautiful chestnut horse, came leaping towards him. The time has come, it said to the tailor, when I can repay you for your good deed. I already know what you need, so no exposition is necessary. <laughs> Climb on my back. I can carry two of you. The tailor's courage came back to him. He jumped up in one bound, and the horse went full speed into the city, and immediately to the castle's courtyard. It galloped as quick as lightning three times around it, the third time falling down. At that instant, there was a terrific clap of thunder. A fragment of earth in the middle of the courtyard sprang like a cannonball into the air and over the castle. Directly afterward, a jet of water rose as high as a man on horseback, and the water was as pure as crystal, and the sunbeams began to dance on it. When the king saw this, he arose in amazement and went and embraced the tailor in sight of all the men. But good fortune did not last long. The king had daughters aplenty, each one more beautiful than the others, but he had no son. So the malicious shoemaker went to the king a fourth time and said, Your majesty, the tailor has not given up his arrogance. He has now boasted that if he liked, he could cause a son to be brought to his majesty through the air. The king summoned the tailor and said, If you cause a son to be brought to me within nine days, you shall have my eldest daughter to wife. There is a king that does not give a toss about his daughters. <laughs> I think we all know that. Hashtag me too. Hashtag bad king. Hashtag go away. I don't know. Hashtag the wicked library. Hashtag the library rules. <laughs> With a Z. The reward is indeed great, thought the little tailor. One would willingly do something for it, but the chair is... Oh dear, hold on, hold on. I'm going to start writing this one down and then read it. But the cherries grow too high for me. If I climb for them, the branch will break beneath and I shall fall. He went home, seated himself cross-legged on his work table and thought over what was to be done. It can't be managed, he cried at last. I will go away after all. I cannot live in peace here. He tied up his bundle and hurried away to the gate. When he got to the meadow, oh dear, he perceived his old friend the stork, because that's how babies happen. <laughs> Who was walking backwards and forwards like a philosopher. Sometimes he stood still, looking closely at a frog and then finally swallowing it down. The stork came to him and greeted him. I see, he began, that you have your pack on your back. Why are you leaving town? The tailor, of course, told him what the king required of him and how he could not perform it and lamented his misfortune. Don't let that turn your hair gray, said the stork. I will help you out of your difficulty. For a long time now, I've been carrying infant children into the city, so this time I can fetch a little prince out of the well. Go home and take it easy. Nine days from now, go to the royal palace and I will arrive there as well. Well, the little tailor went home, and at the appointed time was at the castle. Oh, God, 
You know, this is not a, uh, uh, a sexual education uh, podcast, kiddies, but I think you all are very well aware this is not where babies come from at all. <laughs> also, storks can't talk. Not long after the stork flew up and tapped the window, the tailor opened it, and Cousin Longlegs came in carefully and walked with solemn steps over to the smooth marble pavement. In his beak, he had a baby that was as lovely as an angel and who stretched out his little hands to the queen. The stork laid him in her lap, and she caressed him and kissed him and was beside herself with delight. Before flying away, the stork took his traveling bag off his back and handed it to the queen. In it, there were little paper parcels with colored sweets, and they were divided amongst little princesses. The eldest, however, received none of them, but instead got the merry tailor for a husband. (laughs) Why didn't she just go, I'll take the sweets, I don't want this guy... It seems to me, he said, that I have won the highest prize. My mother was right after all. She said that whoever trusts in God and only has good luck can never fail. Those are two contradictory terms, by the way. Belief in God and in luck. They are not uh, a a work-in-tandem sort of thing. That's like going to church and then grabbing the Ouija board to back it up. (laughs) Hmm, Speaking of which... That was good. Go to church and grab the Ouija board. Two eyes and Ouija to back it up. Okay. The shoemaker had to make the shoes in which the little tailor danced at the wedding festival, after which he was commanded to quit the town forever. (laughs) The road to the forest led him to the gallows. Worn out with anger, rage, and the heat of the day, he threw himself down. When he had closed his eyes and was about to sleep, the two crows flew down from the heads of the men who were hanging there and pecked his eyes out. (laughs) In his madness, he ran into the forest and must have died there of hunger, for no one has seen him or heard of him since. Well, that was a long one, wasn't it, kiddies? But we all got something out of it, didn't we? Yes, I've written down all of these lovely things uh, that we've learned from the story from the Fine Brothers Grimm. And now I am going to go to the little librarian's room where we have run out of new paper. So, until next time, kiddies, (laughs) I'm going to go take these little problems and we'll see you for season three. Ha, 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 ha